Bonnie Wurzbacher is the Senior Vice President of Global Customer and Channel Leadership at Coca-Cola Company, where she uh, leads a global business of $1.5 billion portfolio of retail customers, creating growth strategies across all global retail channels. She's been at Coca-Cola for 25 years, started early on in a position as um, a national account executive with Minute Maid, I believe, and has moved her way up through a variety of positions, uh, corporate vice president, director, customer strategy, region vice president, southeast area, vice president, uh, McDonald's account, assistant vice president, the list goes on. A very impressive list of uh, positions within Coke, and she continues to move on and influence um, Coca-Cola in a real positive way. Bonnie graduated from Wheaton College. Uh, with a BA in education and a minute transition from being an educator uh, to the business world. She later picked up her MBA from Emory University in Atlanta. She serves in a variety of boards. Uh, currently she serves as the chairperson of the Georgia Foundation of Independent Colleges and on the board of directors for Columbia Theological Seminary, which is a nice fit for her talk tonight, where she's going to integrate her uh, business experience with her own faith beliefs. She and her husband Steve, which is an audience with her, um, Steve's going to be a judge for our MBA competition along with Bonnie tomorrow morning. Uh, they enjoy entertaining family and friends. In fact, not too far from here, they have a home. Well, they're not going back to alone. I believe they're going to have uh, up to, what, 14 nieces and nephews might join them in their home in Granbury. So we're excited about this opportunity here from Bonnie. Uh, I first met Bonnie, uh, I guess, just a couple years ago at a retreat where we were talking about these issues of faith and business integration. And it's really a challenge for our leaders, business leaders, to, to learn and, and talk about these things. And so it's a great opportunity to hear from her and, and learn from her. And, and I think you're going to have a, a great experience here hearing her insights in this area. So let's bring Bonnie up. Thanks. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? See, normally I turn my beverages around like this, but since I can't get a Coca-Cola product here, I'm going to have to do it the other way. <laughs> I was seriously considering um, having some of the best presenters help me today, this morning, I mean this, this evening, and maybe some of the best Q&A winners can come up and help me later on, okay? Congratulations, that's great. Okay, I think I still have your things here, Dr. Newbert. That's all right, no problem. All right. So thank you for the opportunity to be here with you tonight. I know you have to school night. It's great for you to come out and stay up late to come here. <laughs> it's not that late, I guess. It's late for me. I'm from Atlanta. Um, this, this is still okay. I want to be able to set, see over it. It's an honor to be here at Baylor um, and to have a chance to speak to such an accomplished group of students. Now, how do I know you're accomplished? I know that because firsthand we have quite a family legacy from Baylor. You may know a few of these folks. Um, all six of my sister's children have or will soon graduate from Baylor. Brittany, Bryce, Brinkley, Brooklyn, Barkley, and Breck Sandval. We just refer to them as the bees. And their two spouses of the two oldest are also from Baylor. Uh, so I am well aware of Baylor's excellent reputation and exceptional students. And my husband and I also had the chance to meet briefly with uh, Judge Starr this afternoon. And 
you are very, very fortunate to have a president of such character and integrity. If you don't know that already, um, you will soon, I'm sure. So, you heard a little bit about my professional life and a little bit about my personal life, so I'd like to know just a little bit about yours. I'm assuming most of you are majoring in business, is that true? Anyone not a business major? Or not in business? Okay, well, pretty much all business. How about, uh, how many of you are intending to go into marketing? Okay, how about finance? This is still on the way. Finance. Um, Accounting? Whoa, a lot of accounting. Um, How about M&A? Advertising, I guess that'd be part of marketing. Okay, I'm gonna give you a few minutes to talk here. Um, I'd like you to find someone close by that you don't have to get up and walk to the other side, but someone nearby that you don't know very well. And I'd like you to take just about 60 seconds for this exercise and tell the person next to you what it is you hope to do professionally when you graduate. Okay, 60 seconds, easy task. One other person. All right, wrap that up. Finish up, there's one more part to this. Okay, now, I'd like you to, with the same person, tell each other how what you plan to do professionally serves to advance God's purposes in this world. 60 seconds. Go. Okay. 10 more seconds to wrap it up. That wasn't as easy, was it? The answer to that question is the theology of your future work. And I encourage each of you to begin to understand it, internalize it, and learn to give the elevator 10-second version of it. Here's mine. I'm an executive with the Coca-Cola Company, and I'm responsible for the profitable growth of our global retailers around the world. This is exciting and purposeful because I'm part of a 120-year-old wealth creation machine that creates millions of jobs and contributes to the sustainable economic well-being of thousands of communities in over 200 countries. I feel God's pleasure in both the product and the process of my work because of the way it enables so many people to use their God-given gifts for good and for God. That wasn't exactly what you expected from Coca-Cola, was it? I want to help you learn how to do this today for your future work and career plans. And I'm planning to do that by sharing with you how I learned to bring meaning to my work as a Christian female business leader. Now to really understand my journey, first you need to know a little bit about my personal background. I come from a long and pretty much unbroken line of ministers, missionaries, teachers, and doctors. And frankly, had very 
few Christian role models in other fields like business, particularly not female role models. I was raised in a deeply Christian home, like perhaps some of you were, where my father was the senior minister of our church and my mother taught school. My grandparents served as missionaries in French Indochina, now Vietnam and Cambodia, for over 20 years, and even my great-grandfather was the minister of a large church in New York. About three years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Vietnam, to the town of Nam Dim, just outside of Hanoi, and found one of the churches that my grandparents founded and built back in the late 1930s. My grandfather actually baptized the current Pastor Hewan's father in the China Sea about 75 years ago. And this church is still faithful and active today, even in communist North Vietnam, where persecution of, of Christians is still real. Their commitment and faith in the face of both extreme poverty and religious opposition is very humbling. And I'm most proud of my grandparents, fathers, and, uncle, and uncle's role in helping to establish these Christian communities so long ago. So, given my family's legacy and some of my own personal makeup, the responsibility to find and perform meaningful work was made real to me early on in my life. I wanted to do something significant, respectable, and noble with my life, as I'm sure you do. Like, I thought teaching or some type of service-oriented not-for-profit work. I certainly never even considered a business career, much less the possibility that God might call someone to it. I thought that Christians were either called to be in full-time Christian service or to support those who were. The idea of being called to some type of secular work was never, was never even something that crossed my mind. However, through the course of my faith and work journey, I've come to realize that all believers are in full-time Christian work and that God calls all of us to every type and place of work that he has created here on earth, and yes, including business. But it took me years to really understand this, and even when I graduated from Wheaton College, I still wasn't sure what God wanted me to do with my life. So with some reluctance, I decided to launch my career teaching school following in my mother's footsteps. Now, I'm certain that I'm not the first college graduate who was uncertain of their future plans. In fact, for most of us, God's calling on our life isn't always obvious, and even the ability to hear God when he does speak to us or to discern his hand in our lives can be quite a challenge. I understand this was the case for a recent graduate not too far from here. This job uh, the student had a job interview in a prestigious consulting firm in downtown Dallas and was frantically driving up and down the streets in search of a parking place, desperate because he thought he would be late and knew he couldn't be. Well, what after seemed like hours, and with only minutes to spare, in exasperation, he finally looked heavenward and cried, Lord, please take pity on me if you will just help me to find a parking place this one time. I promise to go to church every Sunday for the rest of my life and to give up wine, women, and song forever. Well, as he recircled the block in what seemed to be a futile search, 
miraculously, a parking place appeared. So immediately he looked heavenward again, and what do you think he said? Wow, what luck! Hey Lord, never mind, I found one. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Recognizing God's hand in our lives isn't always obvious, is it? And when it comes to our life's work, it's not always easy to discover. It often requires experiments, setbacks, discernment, prayer, and persistence before the light goes on. A career in business had never even been in my frame of reference. With few role models, little encouragement or mentoring, and frankly the narrow range of career choices available to women back in the 70s, I suppose I assumed, like many young Christian women back then, that I may work for a few, a few years doing meaningful work, of course, and then likely marry, start a family, and never really seriously pursue a career over the long term. Well, as our former minister, Dr. Frank Harrington, was fond of saying, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. God most definitely had plans and a purpose for me that included a significant business career, and I learned eventually that business was indeed my calling. Now, I believe to identify your calling, three things are required. The God-given ability to do the job, our enjoyment in doing it, which is equally God-given, by the way, and learning to follow God's leading in our lives. The talent, the desire, and the discernment. The can-do, the want-to, and the led-to. And practicing it often rewards us with energy and, and enjoyment. Most importantly, it is the way and the place in which we can best serve God with our unique set of gifts and talents. Now, honestly... Do you really believe that God calls people into business? I will admit that at first I was skeptical. I wondered how a career in business could possibly serve to build God's kingdom. Wasn't it, after all, essentially self-serving and focused primarily on pursuing the almighty dollar, doing deals in smoke-filled back rooms? What about the greed and fraudulent practices we've all heard so much about in the media? or maybe have even experienced personally. Well, I've learned over the years that business, just like every other field, is full of flawed and sinful people who do not always stick to the economic and ethical principles that are required for business to thrive. There are, in fact, many examples of failed businesses, usually caused by a handful of leaders losing their way, making bad decisions, and ultimately destroying all the value the business had ever created, including the jobs, the salaries, the taxes, the goods and services, the shareholder returns. I'm sure you can recall some recent examples yourself. But I would argue that those examples serve to build the case that not only do we need stronger ethics and governance in business, We need more people in business who understand how and desire to glorify God in both the product and the process of their work. Let me repeat that. We need more people, like you, 
in business who understand how and desire to glorify God in both the product and the process of their work. So even as a committed Christian, it took me years to understand that a healthy, ethical, well-run business can have such a positive impact on the world that it's one of the most noble callings a person can have. Yet even so, there's often an inner tug-of-war in many of us, especially those of us who are seriously committed to our faith, that we struggle with regarding our work. Now, why is that? Well, let me first say, it's really not our fault. The way we view the world in Western culture has been deeply influenced for nearly 3,000 years now by Greek thought. Homer, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And much of what came from their influence was good, some even profound, such as mathematics, the scientific method, and the Hippocratic Oath. But there were also some serious flaws in their thinking. Because they shunned the God of the Hebrews, they depended on humanly inspired reason and and some mystical notions to define the world around them. They created the concept of dualism, which was based on the idea of higher and lower planes of ideas and activities. This idea was built on nearly a thousand years later in the 5th century by Augustine, who wanted to merge Platonic thought into a Christian framework, and again in the 13th century by Thomas Aquinas. Unfortunately, their attempt simply served to perpetuate the dualistic concept of an upper and lower realm of life, which was characterized by a sharp split between the sacred and secular spheres of life, with work and business defined as strictly secular. As a consequence, today we often live in two separate worlds, commuting between the private world of family and church, where we can express our faith freely, and the public world of commerce and politics and science, where religious expression is often firmly suppressed. In fact, we've so convinced ourselves of this separation that we've even allowed some in this country to convince us that our own founding fathers intended to separate religion from government, when in fact the opposite is actually true. Authorities on the subject demonstrate persuasively that their intention was to ensure that government never interfered with religion and not the other way around. You may also know that this sacred-secular antithesis has no foundation in the New Testament. Biblical thought is not dualistic. The worldview depicted by the Bible and illustrated here by Christian Overman, the author of Assumptions That Affect Our Lives, holds that all things are good when in harmony with God's design or evil when in conflict. All things. Look at some of the things in the center of that circle. Overman said, God's intent is that every aspect of human existence and each divinely sanctioned institution is equally obligated to function in harmony with God's will and not in opposition to it. You can find this same concept over and over again in the Bible. How we view our work then is profoundly influenced by the worldview we choose. The Greek model or the Judeo-Christian one. So, back to my story. 
After five years of teaching and trying to shape the lives of seven and eight-year-olds doing something I thought was meaningful, God clearly led me into business and ultimately to the juice division of the Coca-Cola company. Now, it wasn't long until I realized that not only was I pretty good at business, I enjoyed it and was energized by it. Starting in sales in the Chicago area, I was the company's salesperson of the year and then promoted to its U.S. headquarters in Houston with more responsibility. Shortly thereafter, I landed the biggest sale in the company's history, selling orange juice to a little Minute Maid orange juice to a little customer called McDonald's not only in the U.S., but in a dozen international countries as well. I was promoted to the world headquarters in Atlanta and given the opportunity to earn my MBA while working full-time, of course, and I jumped at the chance. I knew by now that not only was I good at business, the can-do, but that I enjoyed it too, the want-to. And throughout the process of being hired, experiencing success in my work, moving twice, going back to business school, I most definitely saw God's hand leading me. There were several pivotal moments along the way where I could surely see His hand guiding my decisions. The led to. Still, it wasn't until much later in my career that I learned how to actually serve God in my work. Of course, I I knew I needed to be ethical. No lying, cheating, or stealing. That was really not much different than ethics in any other aspect of my life at that point. And on a rare occasion, I found an opportunity to share my faith with a co-worker, usually when they were going through some sort of personal crisis. But that was about it. Was that what serving God in my work was all about? Simply ethics and evangelism? I, I didn't think so. About 12 years ago, I intentionally set out to try to understand more fully how God uses business in the world, for good and for God. My journey began as I was given the opportunity to speak on the subject to the student body at my alma mater. In preparation, I had deep discussions with Christian friends and mentors, read great authors, There are many, including Michael Novak, Nancy Piercy, Chuck Colson, John Beckett, Doug Doug Sherman, William Hendricks, and others, and studied the Bible, which surprisingly has a lot to say on the subject. I started by looking at God's original purpose for us in Genesis 1, 27 and 8. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So God commanded men and women to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, to develop the social world. Build families, churches, schools, cities, laws, and the like. And to subdue the earth or harness the natural world. Construct buildings, plant crops design and make new products, compose music, and the like. It seems we're actually to continue God's creative creative work by developing the potential that he originally built into the creation. So we're God's co-workers. And in reality, God has called us to nothing less than to create cultures and build civilizations. Now that is an awesome responsibility. 
I realized too that the purpose of business in the world had clearly been understood by our chairman at the time, Mr. Roberto Gazueta. He served in that capacity for about 16 years, from 1981 to 97. And he was quoted in an annual report in the mid-1990s as follows. We live in a democratic capitalist society. And here, people create specific institutions to help meet specific needs. Governments are created to help meet civic needs. Philanthropies are created to help meet social needs. Churches are created to help meet spiritual needs. And businesses are created to help meet economic needs. Business distributes the lifeblood that flows through our economic system, not only in the form of goods and services, but also in the form of taxes, salaries, and philanthropy. While a healthy company can have a positive and seemingly infinite impact on others, a sick company is a drag on the social order of things. It cannot serve customers, it cannot give to philanthropic causes, and it cannot contribute anything to society." End quote. That was in our annual report. Sounds almost prophetic now, doesn't it? That was 15 years ago. Now let me be clear. I am not saying that the Coca-Cola company is a Christian company because it's not. But working there has helped me to understand how a healthy business can and in fact must advance the economic well-being of others. Even so as a Christian, even understanding that, I wanted to find greater meaning in my work each day. I recalled that our former minister had also proclaimed in a recent sermon, we don't get meaning from our work, we bring meaning to our work. To bring meaning and purpose to my work, I realized that I needed to develop, articulate, and internalize a holistic Christian worldview that included not just my personal life, but my professional life as well. Somehow or another, I had managed to divide my own life and to think of my work primarily as a way to make a living so that I could serve God elsewhere. Yet, like most of us will, or do, I spent most of my time at work. The noted author Dorothy Sayers declared, If religion doesn't speak to our work lives, then it has nothing to say about what we do with the vast majority of our time. How could anyone remain interested in a religion that seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of their lives? Well, I couldn't argue with that. Through this process, I eventually formed a theology of my work that helped me to both understand the importance of business in God's kingdom and my role in it. I'd like to share it with you. The role of business in God's kingdom is to advance the economic well-being of communities throughout the world and as the only source of wealth creation to enable every other social, civic, or spiritual institution to exist. Think about it. Business is the only source of wealth creation in the world. Government doesn't create wealth. Their wealth all comes from taxpayers, a point clearly missed by some in our government these days. Nor do churches or schools or hospitals or missions or any 501c3 nonprofit organization in the world. In fact, 
They're all voracious consumers of wealth. The wealth and jobs that business generates not only advance the economic well-being of communities around the world, they allow every other institution to exist. In other words, successful, ethical, sustainable business, without it, the world just simply doesn't work. To bring that idea closer to home, I took an in-depth look at my own company, the Coca-Cola System. Now that's comprised of both the company and our franchise bottlers. It generates about a million jobs across 200 countries. And in a recent study in Africa, where we're the continent's single largest employer, for every job we create, another 16 jobs are created in Africa's informal retail sector. Many people don't realize that 80% of our business, 8-0, is done outside of the U.S nor that our products are made, sold, and serviced by more than 300 local franchise businesses in every community we serve, nor that we make 500 brands and 3,000 different packages in 900 bottling plants that are delivered to millions of local retail outlets, nor that most of those local retail outlets are small family-owned businesses, nor that we refresh one and a half billion people every single day. It's big. Now I have to digress here a minute since I'm talking about a billion. To help you think about a billion the way we do at the Coca-Cola company, okay? Think about a billion this way. A billion hours ago, many scientists tell us that human life appeared on Earth a billion hours ago. Now we know that a billion minutes ago, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Christianity emerged. 2,000 years was just a billion minutes ago. A billion seconds ago, the Beatles came to America and changed music forever. 1964, way before you were born, was just a billion seconds ago. And a billion Coca-Colas ago? Well, that was just yesterday morning. Pretty big, huh? Now the economic impact of a business goes well beyond job creation to other types of wealth creation that allow people and communities to thrive. For example, last year our company spent $3.5 billion on salaries and benefits. But we also spent $3 billion in shareholder dividends, $1.5 billion in capital expenditures, $8 billion in local purchases of supplies, and $2 billion in income taxes. This doesn't even take into account the local taxes generated by the sale of our products through retailers, nor the economic footprint of our local franchise bottlers, which would multiply that impact by billions more. All of this wealth creation is ultimately not only used to provide jobs and improve standards of living for families around the world, but also to provide for schools, hospitals, churches, government services, and hosts of other not-for-profit organizations. So I say, if there's a silver lining to the economic crisis that we've been going through, it may be that it is building a whole new level of understanding and appreciation for the critical role of sustainable ethical business in the world and its impact on every other institution.
Now besides our company's economic footprint, it has a pretty big social footprint too. Last year we gave away about $100 million in cash to local communities through the 20 foundations we, we lead around the world. That money was spent on community development, health and social services, access to clean water, which over a billion people in the world still don't have, relief for every major world disaster, and hundreds of educational programs. We've funded more than 500 clean water projects in developing countries and have a multi-million dollar commitment with the World Wildlife Fund to restore the world's seven major water basins. We've provi provided millions of dollars worth of in-kind donations of products and employee volunteer hours, and our local bottling partners gave millions more. Gifts of our stock have endowed foundations and educational institutions around the world. I could talk on that subject alone for hours, but don't worry, I won't. This is the point. I began to realize how the business I was in and the work I did each day contributed to advancing the economic, social, and even spiritual well-being of people and communities around the world in many important and impactful ways. I began to see how to honor God in the actual product of my work as well as the process of it. I began to understand why it wasn't nearly enough to just be ethical on the job or even to share my faith. My work was a way for me to fulfill God's commandments in the cultural mandate, which is sometimes called our first job description, to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth, to fulfill the greatest commandment, to love the Lord with all my heart and mind and soul and strength, and in the Great Commission, as you go into the world and make disciples, my work took me squarely into the world to fulfill God's purposes each and every day, and so will yours. I also came to realize that not only is it important to create wealth responsibly, we had an equal, equally important responsibility to use that wealth for good and for God. The parable of the talents clearly lays out that principle. Now I'd also ask you to consider with me for just a moment the responsibility of nonprofit and charitable institutions, governments, churches, missions, hospitals, schools, and colleges, all 501c3 organizations. Their responsibility is to be good stewards of the wealth they receive, to use it wisely. No doubt many of these institutions are critical. They're important to the social, civic, and spiritual well-being of communities, but they're also intensive consumers of wealth and fully rely on business to generate the wealth they need to succeed. This comes to them through government tax revenue and or the generous donations of individuals, foundations, and corporations, all of which would not be possible without successful business. Still, I've known of several of these organizations who found this stewardship principle to be a real challenge as it became evident that much of their money was did not go or was not given to the people or programs they were intended to support. Instead, it was wasted or mismanaged with little, if any, fiscal accountability. Now, I'm not necessarily questioning the motives of, these or of some of these organizations, but more their ability to manage an ent enterprise and apply sound business judgment and financial acumen to their work. Believe me, wise financial counsel, business acumen, and modern-day governance skills are sorely needed 
in charitable and not-for-profit organizations today. Successful businesses hone these very skills, and some of you may consider bringing yours to them. God commands all of us to give generously of our time, talent, and treasure. He uses both our ability to create wealth and our capability and discipline in using it wisely to serve him and others as his stewards. So it's exciting to be meaningfully engaged on both sides of that equation. As Christians, we don't need to feel that we must go to the mission field to please the Lord. Our work is our mission field. However, we must develop an overriding sense of mission and ministry that we bring to our work. Paul reminds us in Colossians 3.23 that in whatever we do, to work at it with all our heart as working for the Lord and not for men or women. According to Michael Novak in his book, Business is a Calling, a business enterprise is primarily a community of people who in various ways are trying to provide for their basic needs and to serve the needs of others. The truth is that the Creator made us to work in community and to cooperate freely with and for others. This creative community is, with the exception of Christianity, the greatest transforming power of the condition of the poor on earth. Business seeks out people of talent, initiative, and enterprise who want to better their condition and that of others. So while I focus my story today on my professional journey, I would be remiss if I did not mention one critical life from my personal journey, especially with a group of students like you. We're fortunate to live in a culture and time where we can choose whom, and to a lesser extent even when, we marry. As for me, it took two failed engagements and 37 years for God to lead, lead me to my husband Steve. Believe me, I had a long and growing list of what I wanted in a husband by that time, girls. But God led us to each other most definitely in his perfect timing and unique way. Steve has been a wonderful life partner to me in all aspects of life, including my professional life. I believe that a strong and lasting marriage is based on mutual love and respect. The Bible refers to this as mutual submission. And that it is grounded in physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual health and compatibility. My experience has been that the more connections you have in each of these four dimensions, the stronger and more successful your marriage will be one day. My advice to those of you who are single is to wait patiently on God's timing and trust that He knows you and what you need better than you know yourself. Trust me, He does not need your help with this. I recently saw a little hand-painted sign on one of those li- at one of those little crafts fairs that had transposed the lyrics to the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, to a more poignant reminder, Jesus knows me, this I love. For those of you... <coughs> excuse me. I guess I'll have to drink this competitive water. <laughs> I was trying to hold off. For those of you who are already married, invest in your marriage. 
consider love and respect as equals and ensure that you give and remain worthy of both. Pray for and with your partner. You'll be amazed what this can do for a marriage. Marriage to the right person, carefully tended, brings the lifelong loving partnership that God intended for us in creation. So let me close by summarizing my five lessons that I hope you will take away with you from this session. (coughs) One, identify your calling. Based on how God has gifted you as his child, your talents, abilities, passions, and experiences, and use your strengths both personally and professionally. There is no indication in the Bible nor in life that women are gifted any differently than men. Look for the can-do, the want-to, and the led-to of your life. Attend a church that acknowledges and enthusiastically enables you to identify and use your God-given gifts. I know I do. Knowing who God planned for you to be will build your self-confidence. This is particularly important for women who are often more prone to self-doubt than men. Second, recognize and trust God's hand in your life. Learn to see His hand in, in your life, in both the good times and the bad. Abide with Him at home and at work and at school by keeping His word in your heart and your mind. Carry on a conversation with Him all day long. Make Him a critical part of your professional life, not just your personal one. This will build your sense of dependence on God and confidence in His love for you. Third, choose your life partner wisely and commit to making your marriage all that God intended it to be. This is the most important decision you'll make after following Christ. You'll spend more time with your spouse than any other person over the course of your life. And you will likely become more like them as you grow older. Some even say you'll look more like them. So far it hasn't made me any taller though. Seriously, as you consider the sacredness of all of life, don't overlook God's intention for your marriage. A strong, healthy, God-honoring marriage relationship makes life all that God intended for it to be and makes any work or life, other life problem much easier to bear. Fifth, understand the theology of your work. Recognize the important role work plays in the world and God's pleasure in it. This will build your sense of purpose in all that you do and help you bring meaning to your work. And finally, remember, there is no sacred secular split in life. All things are sacred. Encourage your church to equip you and your congregation to be scattered into the secular world, demonstrating God's love and grace and character to those with whom you interact. Our church calls this My 95, the 95% of our time that we don't spend in church. This will help you build a holistic Christian worldview that is essential to serving God with all of your heart, and soul and mind and strength. And remember, you don't get meaning from your work. You bring meaning to your work. And with this probably familiar story to you, I will close. A man stopped to chat with three stonemasons who were working on a wall and asked each one of them what they were doing. 
The first replied, I'm earning my daily bread. The second said, well, I'm building a wall. The third stated proudly, I am building a great cathedral. For one, it was just a job. For another, it was just a wall. But for the third, every time they laid a brick, they visualized it as a part of something larger, a great cathedral. If when you graduate and go to your place of work each day, you cannot bring that kind of meaning to it, then find a place of work where you can. For it is only through connecting with that higher purpose that we can truly serve humankind and honor God through our work. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Now, uh, now I said 9 o'clock. We're not going to keep you till 9, but I'm going to allow, if anyone wants to ask a question, to go up to the mic. But I'm going to ask one question before that, and then we'll get out early. But, um, what, what do you, Bonnie, what's been the biggest challenges for you to try and live this out? It, it's a great, inspiring story about integrating faith and meaning. What have been the challenges, and maybe how have you overcome those? Hmm. Well, that's a short answer. You are going to be here past 9. Um, no, I, I think it's the day-to-day grind of, of getting things done and checking things off the list and having too much to do at work and at home. It's easy to block God out of your life. I would say learning to talk with Him and abide with Him day in and day out, even when you're busy, is probably one of the biggest challenges and the second one for me is probably has probably been working with difficult working with or for difficult people. So great. I'd say those too. Okay, great. Alright, well what we'll do in, in fact is let some of the folks who want to ask some personal questions maybe come up. Bonnie you can, you can stick around for a little while and answer some questions. Let's give her another hand. It's been a, a great speech, inspiring. Thank you.